Greetings from the Lord Jesus. It's good to be here again. Did y'all catch that in the Sunday school lesson? You cannot have faith if you seek honor from people. That's an interesting thought, and a sobering one too, but anyway. All right. So we came through the Easter season. I was thinking about that as I was thinking about the sermon. And one thing that, one discussion that we often have around Easter time is, which is more important, the uh, the death of Christ or the resurrection? And I was thinking about that, and so it kind of led to this sermon. Which part of Jesus' life is most important? That's the title. Which part of Jesus' life is most important? And I uh, tried to find a scripture that would go along with my preconceiving, I mean, with my idea for a sermon. Uh, (laughs) I did think of this one. I'll just read it to you. It doesn't cover the whole territory. Without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, preached unto the nations, believed on in the world, received up into glory which actually covers the life of Christ fairly well, but I'm not going to really follow that. Just going to think about, well, okay, another way to phrase that question would be, which part of the life of Christ could be left out? And I'll tell you up front, my main point in the long run is this, our salvation is Jesus Christ. It's not the cross, it's not the resurrection, it's not those two together. It's the man, Jesus Christ. The God-man, Jesus Christ. All right, 21 points, so I have to keep moving. Uh, (laughs) First, eternity past. I got to thinking about the life of Christ, and I thought, well, you know, it didn't begin with his birth, so we have to think back a little. Eternity past or future, we use those terms sometimes. Those are terms we use to describe something we don't really understand. It's, uh, we're talking about God's is-ness. He always is, then, and will be is. And it's a little like... Uh, Like someone like, okay, if I had never seen anything but the primary colors, black, white, red, green, blue, yellow, and that's all the world was made of, and that's all I'd ever seen, and all you'd ever seen, it'd be quite quite a clash, by the way, no in-between colors, and I tried to describe to you what those colors looked like, and you'd never seen them either. So we're talking about eternity, we're talking about spiritual things, and Yes, we have a little bit of a glimpse, but we don't know what we're talking about when it comes right down to it. We've never been there. We've never seen it. But Jesus was there from the beginning, before the beginning. Jesus said unto them, this is John 8:58, Verily, verily, I say unto you, before Abraham was, I am. Revelation 13.8 speaks about the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Jesus is God. And that's important. <laughs> He's one with God. Co-eternal with God. In the Father. The Father in him. He always has been. 
There never was a time when he wasn't. And that's important to our salvation, too. Well, number two, creation. John said, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. He was there at creation. And God said, let us, we three, I don't know how we, anyway, but God said, let us make man in our image. After our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image, not their own image. <laughs> in the image of God created he him, male and female created he them. So you have the Godhead, we call it sometimes, they're speaking among itself, <laughs> himself. He made us. Christ was there. He was involved in that. We are made in his image. He came and dwelt among us, himself as one of us, in the image of the people he created in his own image. He came unto his own. It takes on a new meaning when you think about it that way. He came unto his own. Those created by him in his image, he came to them in their image. Well, it's his own image, too. <laughs> okay. Number three, the uh, what some people call the theophanies. Those appearances in the Old Testament that seem to have been God. A lot of people believe that was Christ. And I don't know. Again, we're talking about things we don't know for sure. But, for example, Genesis 32, 30, Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, the face of God. He said, for I have seen God face to face, and my life is preserved. Many people believe that the appearances like that in the Old Testament were the pre-incarnate Christ. And that makes a certain amount of sense, because no man has seen God at any time, God the Father. And if God appears to man, well then I think probably it is in the form of the Christ. But there again, I'm not going to get too dogmatic. Well, number four, the birth. Couldn't Jesus just have appeared one day in Judea? God set him down and let him do what he came to do. That's a little of the idea you get with Melchizedek. I don't assume it really happened that way with Melchizedek, but the New Testament talks about it. It appears that way. Couldn't Jesus have done that? Well, I guess God could have done it that way, except... He needed to be a man. The promise to Moses was, The Lord thy God shall raise up unto thee a prophet from the midst of thee, of thy brethren, like unto thee, like unto me, this was Moses speaking, unto him you shall hearken. Deuteronomy 18.15 He promised Abraham a seed, a singular seed. Brother Levi mentioned that the other week. A man. A descendant. The lineage of David, a man. This calls for a human being, one of us. He has to get here by birth. And yet, and yet, he needs to be God too. Emmanuel, God with us. And so we talk about the virgin birth. 
Now, through the the ages, there has been different people who've talked about uh, whether it's a doctrine, they call it adoptionism. Their idea is that Jesus was not necessarily the Son of God from the conception, from the womb, but that, uh, oh, at his baptism when the Holy Spirit came in, then he became the Son of God in some special way. Uh, no, it wasn't that way. It was from the beginning. That holy thing that shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God, the angel told Mary. And even Minnow was a little bit off. He, uh, and I think probably it was reactionism against the, the Virgin Mary thing. He uh, sort of taught that Mary was just sort of the, the pipeline through which Jesus came, that Jesus didn't have anything from Mary. It all came direct from God. No, <laughs> he was God and he was man. He had to be a man. He was born of a virgin. You think about the way he was born, lowly, in a lowly family, a poor family, in desperate streets there in Bethlehem, out in the stable. That's fitting for the kind of king he was and the kind of teaching he gave us. But angels announced his birth. That's fitting, too. Kings came with gifts. That was fitting, too. Well, he did need to be born, obviously, if he's going to do the, the job he came to do, if he's going to be a man, and he was a man. Well, you think about number five, his childhood. And the child grew and waxed strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. And that is all we know. Beyond that, we don't know. He grew up. He was once... Joey's age, he was once Philip's age, he was once Kayla's age. We could just start picking out people and say, yes, he was a three-year-old, a four-year-old, a five-year-old. He grew up, he learned, he went to school. He was one of us. He needed to go through that to be one of us. Six, a youth. We have one glimpse in Luke chapter 2. We won't read it, we're familiar with it. So you have this boy at age 12, that's uh, when the Jewish boys begin becoming a man, I guess you could say, taking the responsibilities of adulthood. I must be about my father's business. So, Anson, Audrey, Philip, Megan, Arwen, Ivan, Emma, you must be about your father's business even now. Sometimes I think we tend to uh, forget that. Just go ahead and start like the Lord Jesus did. And some who are younger too, by the way, even before we become Christians and join the church, we love our God anyway and we, we, we're about his business. He knew it. And I don't know what happened there. Was he um, was he getting in a hurry? Was he irresponsible by staying behind? I, we don't like to say he was. I don't know. Did he misjudge? Not sure. But he said, I need to be about my father's business. Didn't you know that? But then it also says, he went down with them, came to Nazareth, and was subject unto them. 
God himself, the Son of God on earth, and he knew it. He went back home and he was subject to his parents like he was supposed to be. And the result, and Jesus increased in wisdom and state, stature and in favor with God and man. When you think about his young adulthood, his pre-ministry adulthood, okay, he didn't start till he was about 30, so you've got from 12 to 30, 18 years in there where we, again, don't know much, don't know anything, really. Joseph, his father, disappeared sometime in that time, apparently. By all appearances, Joseph was gone by the time he started his ministry. Jesus very likely learned a trade, probably carried it out for a few years, had his mother to take care of. Again, he was one of us. Did his ministry really not begin until John the Baptist baptized him, do you think? Or do you think he was already serving people in that time? I think he was. He was a faithful carpenter, if that's what he did. We assume he did. He helped people. It would change when his time came, when the fullness of time came. And here again, it's fitting that we don't know about those years. And it's fitting that for 18 years more, he was a nobody as far as the world was concerned. Well, number eight is baptism. John the Baptist, the forerunner, the great introducer, had to come first to prepare the way. And John came preaching, repent of your sins, be baptized to show their remission and your determination to obey God. And here comes Jesus to be baptized. Then cometh Jesus from Galilee to Jordan unto John to be baptized of him. But John forbade him, saying, I have need to be baptized of thee, and comest thou to me? Jesus answering said unto him, Suffer it to be so now, for thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. Because it's the right thing to do. And Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water, and lo, the heavens were opened unto him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove, and lighting upon him, and lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. It's the right thing to do. You came to introduce me? <laughs> he could be saying to John, Now get at it and do it. This is the way it's done. And from that point, God, the Father, and the Holy Spirit took over and introduced him properly. Number nine, the temptation. So the adversary wasn't blind to all this. He definitely heard what was going on. This man's introduced as the son of God. And so you have those 40 days in the wilderness. You have the temptation. God's son, I've got to do something about this. You can imagine him saying, Jesus, again, is one of us. He knows our trials. He's been tempted at all points like as we are yet without sin. I don't think the temptations ended then. It does say the adversary left him for a little season, but you think the devil left him alone for the next three years? I don't.
yet without sin. He knows them all. That's important too. Well, you think about number 10, his ministry. His ministry, the teaching, the miracles, the example. Well, where would we be without those three years of his ministry? Seeing him heal every kind of sickness, meet every kind of human promise, problem, raise the dead, through it all, teaching his disciples how to live. Where would we be if we didn't have the record of his life, his responses through those years? Here was a man who lived what he taught. That record shows us how God would live if God came to earth. And maybe we just need to change that and say that record shows us how God lived when God came to earth. And shows us how we ought to live as his disciples. Then I thought about number 11, his suffering. You see him early on, fairly early on actually, realizing what was ahead in Luke 12, 50. He says, I have a baptism to be baptized with, and how am I straightened until it be accomplished? We see him opposed by the religious leaders of his people almost from the beginning. We see him betrayed with a kiss by one of his closest friends. We see the unjust trial, if you could call it a trial, the mocking, the cursing, the spitting, the scourging, the cross-carrying, the nails, the hanging there with more mockery and hatred and everything that happened that day. Could he not have died without that? Well, his blood did need to be shed. It's the blood that's effective. And I thought again, in all points like as we are, there's no one that can claim to have suffered more than him. And any of us who do suffer <laughs> don't get any more than what we deserve when it comes right down to it. And he deserved none of it. So the suffering was necessary too. His death, number 12, well obviously his death was necessary. The lamb had to die. The sacrifice for sin had to take place. We know that. And praise God that he did it. Forgiveness of sins is possible only because he died. He shed his blood and he died. We won't spend a lot of time there. 13, his burial. Paul says, For I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. How could we be certain he was dead if he hadn't been buried? That's what you do with dead people. And they knew he was dead. They knew it clearly. But his death and his burial weren't enough. Anybody can die. 
Anybody can be buried. But this man claimed to be the son of God. This man said, in three days I'm going to rise again. And so, 14, the resurrection. The resurrection was an absolute necessity if we're to believe this man, because he did say, I will rise again in three days. If we're going to believe that he is who he said he was, it had to happen. But people don't rise from the dead. We know that. It just doesn't happen. Well, Okay, so maybe it did happen a couple times because he raised a few people to life, didn't he? But you take a man and you put him through a Roman scourging. You send him out to the cross and hang him up there and punch a hole in him so the blood and the water runs out. And This man's dead. Dead! But he rose again. <laughs> And because he did, resurrection power is ours too. Visions 1, 19 and 20. And what is, this is in breaking into the middle of, a, of what Paul wants us to realize, to know. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places. Resurrection power. We wouldn't have it if he hadn't raised. Since he did, we do have it. I, I thought about this. Forgiveness of sins came through his death, his shed blood. Victory. Victory over the sin nature. Deliverance from the power of sin came through the resurrection. And maybe what follows here, too. Well, 15, what I call the post-resurrection 40 days, his short time on earth after the resurrection. Seems like they were fairly important to the disciples. He spent some time teaching them, showing himself to them, giving full, let's see, how did Luke say it, many infallible proofs that he had risen from the dead. John 20, Jesus said unto them again, Peace be unto you, as my Father hath sent me, even so send I you. So giving them his instructions. Brother Levi mentioned that in our Sunday school class. And the next verse was interesting to me too. And when he had said this, he breathed on them. And saith to them, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. And so, in some preliminary way, he gave them the Holy Spirit. In the, well, Luke says it, He opened their understanding that they might understand the scriptures during those days, too. And so, I think probably the two went together. And I don't know fully how all that was, but it was an important time. Because he began the process that, that the Spirit would continue in using the apostles to give us the, the entire New Testament. Began the process that the Spirit would use 
and taking the gospel to the entire world. So that time was important too. Number 16, the ascension. The ascension was fairly important, by the way. <clears throat> John 16, Jesus told them this. 16, 5 to 7. But now I go my way to him that sent me, and none of you asketh me, Whither goest thou? But because I have said these things unto you, sorrow hath filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is expedient for you that I go away. It's good for you that I'm going, for if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. So yes, Jesus had to go. He had to leave. He didn't do it in a normal way, dying and never coming back again. We've seen that already. He rose from the dead, and I'm sure that the, the disciples were, were ready to think that he was going to stay for good, set up his earthly kingdom now. Wouldn't that be glorious? I don't know, would it? <laughs> I'm sure it would. <laughs> and yet, it wasn't God's plan, and when you really stop to think about it, setting up a uh, spiritual kingdom on earth for God's children in one place would have its complications, let's just put it that way, especially in a world still ruled by sin. Still ruled by sin? Yeah, except for that one little bit of the kingdom of Christ, maybe. Hmm. Well, anyway, hard to imagine. It, I'm glad it's not that way. Christ by ascending, can be everywhere through his spirit. He can be with each of us wherever we are. That would have been impossible. A spiritual kingdom as we know it would have been impossible if he'd have stayed. So the ascension was necessary. It had to happen. We're glad it did. Number 17, then, sending his spirit. And uh, I've put this when thinking about it uh, did God send the Spirit or did Jesus send the Spirit? Well, yes, they did. And I, I was just thinking, when you read church history, some of these things get interesting, but there was a, a big argument back in the, I don't know, 4th, 5th centuries over the wording of one of their uh, confessions of faith, we would call it, whether the Spirit came forth from the Father or whether the Spirit came forth from the Father or the Son. And they acted in some very unspiritual ways, <laughs> arguing about it, as people are inclined to do when they argue doctrine. Well, anyway, that's kind of beside the point. That Therefore, this is Peter preaching in, in Acts 2, Therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted, this is Jesus, that you crucified, and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, we're back to Levi's sermon again, by the way, the promise, the promise of the Holy Ghost, he has shed forth this, which you now see and hear. Jesus sent his Spirit. 
Back to John 14. If you love me, keep my commandments. And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter. And by the way, that word another there is not another different. It's another of the same kind. And he shall give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him. But you know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. I will not leave you comfortless. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you, Jesus said then. So when the Holy Spirit came, Jesus came. We have the indwelling of the Lord Jesus now through the Spirit. He dwells in his body. And hereby we know that he abideth in us by the Spirit which he hath given us. John said in 1 John. Abide in me and I in you. That's the way it works. God himself, the Lord Jesus, the Holy Spirit <laughs> coming and dwelling in us. And that's the way we're reborn, recreated, new creatures, regenerated, call it what you want. I will put a new heart and a new spirit in them, God said. And he did it when he came into us. He recreated us, gave us a new heart, a new desire, a new want to. It's done by his spirit. It's done by the Lord Jesus himself. And so, again, I was thinking about this thing. The death of Christ provides for the forgiveness of sins. His resurrection, his life, provides for continued victory over sin. We don't have to keep wallowing in it. We don't have to keep, quote, falling into it. We just need to... Lord Jesus, abiding in him and he in us, and stay there. And that's by his life, too. You see, his work wasn't done with his death or his resurrection or even his ascension. It was it Andrew this morning telling us that God still works and the Lord Jesus still works? Yes, he's on the right hand of God interceding for us. And that's number 18, intercession. Romans 8.34, Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. Well, what's that mean anyway? And how does this work? And I'm not sure I can tell you exactly, except that the Lord Jesus is at the right hand of the Father, He's there as our advocate, I guess you could call him a lawyer, on our part, with God. He told Peter, I've prayed for you. He tells us that too, I think, I'm praying for you. What more could we, what? Hebrews 7, 25, Wherefore he is able to save them to the uttermost, to the end, that come unto God by him. Okay, wherefore, he is able, because he's there interceding for us, to save those 
through the end, those through the end, that's us who come to God by Him, through Him, seeing that He ever liveth to make intercession for them. He's always alive. He's always there. He's always making intercession. Our part is to just stay right there too, that He can do His work in us. Where would we be without His intercession? And I don't understand it all, and you don't either, I'm sure. But we rejoice in it anyway. It's necessary for our salvation. Just as necessary as his death was. Because salvation isn't just believing in something that happened back there once. It's something that takes place in us because the Lord Jesus is in us, because he is alive in us, because we are alive in him, because he's on the right hand of the Father. Uh, it's a big picture, <laughs> a lot bigger than we realize sometimes. So, it's not just his death, not just his resurrection, not just those two together, it's us responding to that, and Jesus Christ dwelling in us by faith, us abiding in him, he abiding in us. It's a life. It's the life. It's his life. Those waters, rivers of living water flowing up into us by the Holy Spirit. The life of the Lord Jesus, it's, it's knowing him. It has to be that way. We need Jesus from beginning to end. We needed him. When we cried out to him, God be merciful to me, I'm a sinner. And we'll need him when our spirit leaves our body and all the way between. So Christ lives on earth still. The church. We who believe, we who love him and obey him, who dwell in him and he in us, we are his body. He lives through us too. Yes, he's in the right hand of God, but we're in him, he's in us. So yes, he's here on earth. He tells us, go ye, or as you go, proclaim me. And he promises, lo, I am with you, always, even unto the end of the world. And still have those last two points. Number 20, the return, the consummation. Call it what you want. He's coming again. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God. And the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we, which are alive and remain, shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. And, oh yes, there's different ideas of how all that will happen out there. And we won't go into them, but the Lord is coming. And we who are alive will be caught up. And if we happen to be dead by that time, uh, we will be brought back to life. We'll be changed in an instant. We'll be given new bodies. Again, we don't know exactly what we're talking about when we say that. Because we don't know. We've never had those new bodies yet. And then 21 is eternity future. 
and so shall we ever be with the Lord. And we could go to Revelation and read about some of those that we won't. Beginning to end, Jesus was there. From the beginning, God, from the foundation of the earth and before, had this plan in place where he, in the person of his son, was going to come as a man, as one of us. He was going to teach. He was going to exemplify how he wants man to live. He was going to suffer. He was going to die. He was going to rise again. This whole package of salvation, call it a plan if you want. I don't like to call it the plan of salvation. The man of salvation, the Lord Jesus, from beginning to end. We need him. We need him. And when he comes again, that will be the end of it for us. No more struggles, no more pain, no more sorrow. Eternity with him, glory with him. Could have taken time to look up some verses on that, but I didn't. Uh, it's a glorious future. But it's all through and in the Lord Jesus. Let's have a song. <laughs>